Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad to be in church this morning? Man, that was just so good listening to the singing and praising the Lord together. What a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Hey, how would you like to live your life in such a way that people, when they looked at you, said, wow, that, that proves there's a God. How would you like people to walk away from an encounter with you and have them adore your God? How would you like to live your life in such a way that your life was impacting others? We're talking about maximizing your life, and today, particularly, we want to talk about maximizing your influence. How can you influence others to love the God that you love? When people walk away from you, do they know what God was like? Many years ago, my, my wife was walking down that hallway. Now, we used, to have a, we used to have a place out in the back of the church called the storehouse, and the storehouse had uh, clothing in it and it had food in it so if there was a person in the church that needed food or clothing we could go take them out there and we could get clothing for them and we could get food out there one day a, a shoe store in town closed down and they called us and they said would you like some shoes well we thought maybe four or five pairs of shoes they came and brought us a truckload of shoes and we took that truckload of shoes and put them in the storehouse. And uh, the next week, my wife is walking down a hallway, out this, this hallway back here, and she sees a little boy. And the little boy walks, is walking down the hallway looking around, and he has no shoes on his feet. And so my wife said to him, uh, come here, look, little boy, come here. And she, he said, uh, yeah, she, he said, she said, where are your shoes? he looked up and said, I don't have any shoes. And she said, would you like a pair of shoes? And he said, yes. She said, I'm going to get you some shoes, and I want you to remember that God gave you these shoes. And so she took, her, she took him by the hand, took him out to the storehouse, and she got a couple of boxes and tried on a pair of sho- different pairs of shoes, and then she got some socks, and she put some socks on him, and she put the shoes on his feet, and she kept saying to him, now I want you to remember that God got you these shoes. He said, yes, ma'am. And uh, then she went, she got, she, she got the shoes, she put them on her feet, and she said again, I want you to remember, God gave you these shoes. And then he said, ma'am, can I ask a question? And, and, and she said, yes. He said, uh, could I have another pair? And she said, well, why do you need another pair? And he said, well, my brother's at home, and he didn't want to come to church because he didn't have any shoes either. And my, my wife said, sure, is he about your size? And she got another pair of shoes and she said, but you need to always remember that God gave you these shoes. And then the boy's face looked shocked and looked up at her and said, lady, are you God? <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to be. When people walk away from you, they should say, wow, there's the proof that there's a God. And Paul, in Titus chapter 2, writing to Titus, who's living in this wicked, wicked culture, God calls this place a place filled with liars and evil beasts. They're mean people. And they're slow bellies. They're just, all they think about is themselves. They're gluttons. They're, they're, they're self-centered mean, evil beasts. God says in the midst of them, I want them to see God in you. Look at verse 10 of Titus chapter 2. If you haven't turned in your Bibles to Titus, we're in Titus chapter 2. Verse 10 says this. At the end of verse 10, it says that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Paul said, look, 
I'm going to talk to you now about how you, what you should teach others, Titus. Titus, you're left there to teach others how they can live in such a way that people will adorn the doctrines of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to, I, when, when we're finished with this message this morning, I want you to understand that God, and God wants us to understand that we can live in such a way that when people walk away from us, they say, wow, there is a God. There is a God. And they'll adorn the doctrine of Jesus Christ, our Savior, God. Now, last week we said this. We want to talk about it, that Paul says in, in the first chapter, listen, understand your reason for being. Understand that your purpose, what your purpose is. Understand that your general purpose is to represent God wherever you are. But understand you need to determine why, why has God placed you particularly on this planet? And then you need to take responsibility for what it is that God wants you to do. Don't just say, well, God's not working through me. No, God's got a reason for you and God wants you to take responsibility to fulfill that reason, fulfill that purpose. And then you need to look at the requirements. God gives us some requirements for leadership, and he says, look, this is what you need to be. If you're going to reach others, you need to follow these responsibilities. You need to, you need to take uh, these requirements and live as a leader. And then we said, you, in doing that, you've got to resist false teachers. You've got to stay away from people who are leading others astray. Don't compromise with the false teachings of this world. Then he said, remember this, remember as you're reaching out to touch this world with the gospel, there are going to be two different types of people, two different types of, of people, some who are, gonna, who, who are uh, uh, corrupt and, and evil and they don't want to know the truth, and then there are those who are pure, to the pure all things are pure he says. And so try, reach those people that want to be reached. Don't worry about those that don't want to be reached. Now, he comes to chapter 2, and in verse 1, he says, now, understanding that, Titus, he says, speak thou, in verse 1, he says, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. He said, I want you to teach my people, I want you to teach my people how to live the doctrines or the teachings of the Bible. So teach my people how to live the doctrines of the Bible. And what he's going to do is he's going to address five different groups of people. You will be included in this, in this group. You personally are in this group. He's going to talk about five different types of people. He's going to talk about older men. And he's going to talk about older women. He's going to talk about younger women, and he's going to talk about young men, and then he's going to talk about servants. So he's going to get every class of person or every category of person in this message this morning. He starts off by verse 2 saying that the aged man, I prefer older man, uh, but the aged man be sober. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Before we do, let's pray. Father, teach us from your word. Help me to be uh, quick and concise. And Father, to communicate what you say to us, how we ought to live uh, as your servants so that we can draw other people to you with our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, a man in this church came to me and he said, he said, Pastor, I got to tell you what happened with Pastor Matt this past week. He said, I was, I was standing in front of my house and he said, I was talking to a guy. Guy's an absolute pagan. The guy is just a terrible guy, foul mouth, horrible guy. Well, friend of mine, but you know what I'm talking about, had nothing to do with Christianity whatsoever. He said, I'm talking to him, and Pastor Matt came walking up. And Pastor Matt started uh, telling me, uh, just talk to us for a, for a little while, and, uh, and I can't remember the situation they were talking about. But he said, um, he said, he said when we, after we got finished talking, he said, Pastor Matt walked away and got in his car and drove away, and that guy looked at me and said, there goes the purest man I've ever seen in my life. I was thrilled with that, with that statement, because he was talking about my son. He was also talking about one of the pastors of this church. And I thought, man, that's amazing. 
That's the way it should be. Because what they saw in Pastor Matt that day was not Pastor Matt. They saw Jesus in him. And God wants us to live in such a way that, that other people walk away and say, wow, there must be a God. Look at that guy. There must be a God. Look at that girl. Well, how do we do that? Well, Paul says, hey, look, Timothy or Titus, he says, there are, there are, there are five categories of people I want to talk to you about that I want you to tell other, I want you to teach them. I want you to teach them. Teach, first of all, teach the older men. Teach the older men. You say, well, what's an older man? I'm not an older man. I like to think that we're not older men, but I want you to understand that, that there's only two times, two other times besides here this term is used in the Bible. There's a guy named Zacharias. Zacharias was so old that his wife couldn't have kids. He, he that later became, however, the father of John the Baptist. He's in, in the temple, um, and he's performing a duty, and, and the angel appears to Zacharias, and he says, and Zacharias says, and he says to Zacharias, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby. And Zacharias said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. They're way beyond the ability to have children. That's the word here, old man. You say, well, how old was Zacharias? We think he was about 50 uh, eight to 59, someplace in there. Now, you didn't think you were old, but <laughs> you say, well, how do we know that? Well, we're not sure about that, but here's Paul. But Paul died when he was 62 years old. He was 62 years old. And in, in when he writes to Philemon, he says this. He said, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech you, being such and one as, here's the word, Paul the aged. He could, he, the, the least he could be was 61. We think he's about 59 years old when he refers to himself as Paul the aged. Now you may be thinking, if that's aged, what am I? I'm 78. Uh, that's, uh, I just want you to understand. So when he talks about the older man, if you're like getting towards the end of your 50s, God's talking to you. So let's look, what does he say? What does he say about the older man? If the older man wants to make an impact for God, then he's supposed to live a certain way. This is the older man. You got gray in your beard? Older man. The Bible says you're an older man. Now, so here it is. What is the older man supposed to do? He says, he says that the older man, the aged man, be sober, be grave, be temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. Several things he says. First of all, sober. The idea is free from wine, but the idea of being free from wine is, is not just, just because he doesn't drink any wine. The idea is that he is, uh, the, the, the idea is um, that he is not controlled by an outside source. The idea is that he's guarded for, against sin. He's guarding against sin. He doesn't want to drink this wine because he doesn't want it to affect his ability to make wise decisions. So he guards himself against sin. He's not controlled by an outside source. He's not finding relief from pain or anything from wine. He is, he is sober. He's freed from wine. He's He's, he's wanting that control in his life. He's a, he's, he's a wise, older man. He's not only supposed to be, in that situation, he's supposed to be grave. The word grave means to be honorable. He's, he's trusted by others. There are people that I would give the keys to my house to. There, I would give the, I, Steve Haig is here. If I was going out of town Steve, and, I, and I, I needed somebody to watch my house, I would have no problem handing you the keys to my house and saying, here's the security code, here's the gate code, here's everything you need. I have no problem whatsoever totally and completely trusting you with that. Why? Because he is trustworthy. He is honorable. He is honest. I know that he would be thinking more about my benefit. I know if somebody came into my house and he was there, he would get them out of my house. I'd trust him more than I would. Uh, the, 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 uh, uh, I would trust me. The, uh, he, he's grave, honorable. That's, that's what it means. The idea is totally trustworthy. Older men are to be sober. 
There's, they're not supposed to be allowing outside sources to control them. They're to be, they're to be grave. They're to be honorable. They're to be trustworthy. And then he uses the word temperate. This is what we're supposed to be as older men. Temperate, that is self-controlled. That is, you don't fly off the handle. You're not quick, angry, upset. It's, you, you're, not, you're, you're also one who has temptation under control. It's not that you're free of temptation, but you're controlling temptation. And then, again, you're not flying off the handle. You're not, oh, these rotten little kids around here, all these, these teenagers. They're, they're, you're, not, you're not that grumpy old guy. I was sitting around, I was sitting around the, the, the fire, a, a, a campfire, with a guy that I've known for 40-some years. Uh, I was with him and his two cousins, and I'm sitting there, and we're talking. And he said, well, I drove over here. This is what he said to me. He said, I drove over here, and some teenager came plowing by me. And those kids, I can't believe them, the way they drive. And I just started laughing out loud. See, why? Because I've known him for 45 years. I remember when he was that teenager, and I remember, I remember, and, and, and when I started laughing, his two cousins, they started busting out laughing, and, I, and then we started telling stories. Do you remember when you did, remember when he did this, remember, and then he started smiling. The fact of the matter is, the grump, the, you, you can't be the grumpy old guy that's all up, always flying off the handle because of these young kids, or, you, or this person over here, or, or whatever. The guy cut me off, and you're the one that's... You're, he's cutting you off, and you're off in him as well. And, and, and you, you can't be that guy. You're temperate. You're self-controlled. And, you're, and when, you, when you are that way, again, you're reflecting Christ. Then sound in faith. What does that mean? That means he's, he's, he's strong. He's healthy in his beliefs. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. You never will until you get to heaven. But healthy in your beliefs, you're strong in your beliefs. You know what you believe. From time to time, people will come in and say, hey, pastor, I've got this. I've learned this new thing, and I'm excited about that. And I think, okay, that's great. I'm glad you're excited about the Bible, but you need to understand I've settled my beliefs. Years ago, I've settled my beliefs about that particular subject, and, and we could talk like till you're blue in the face, but this is what I believe. I'm settled in my belief. People will come by at, that we haven't seen for, for years. I had a, a lady join our church. She hadn't, she hadn't been here for 15 years, probably. Joined our church again. She moved back into town, and, uh, she, and she, she loves this church, and she would tell you, nothing's changed. Oh, oh, maybe some methods have changed, but the same message is there. People will say to me, man, I was here 30 years ago, and, and it's just you're the same preaching. Why? Because we're settled in our beliefs. There's no, we're not, we're not over here believing this one, and this is different, and this is different, and this is different. We've settled the Word of God. We've studied the Word of God. We, we're, sound, we're, we're, we're sound in faith, strong in our beliefs. Uh, because our beliefs are based on the Word of God. And then charity. The, the, um, this, the older man is to be, have unconditional love. The idea is that he doesn't love you because of what you do. He's loving you because he wants you to see Jesus Christ. This is, this is what God wants from older men. That's what God wants from older men. And then here's the word, patient. He's patient. What that means is he's one who is steadfast. He's one who perseveres. He just keeps going, doing things. Everybody else is panicked out about this happening and this happening, but he's just persevering. He just keeps doing. He keeps doing the right thing. And he puts up with others. He's putting up with others who are varying off in different ways. That's the older man. God says, listen, older men, this is the way you're supposed to live. Sober, free from wine, grave, honorable, temperate, self-controlled, sound in faith, uh, showing unconditional love to everyone around you, and then patient, persevering. You just keep on going. Then he says, look in verse, look in verse 2. He then talks to the older women. He says, the aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becoming holiness... 
not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things that they may teach the young women to be sober and to love their husbands. Now, first of all, he says this. He says, you older women need to be in behavior, behave in a holy fashion. Um, the idea is don't, as you get older, get crass or crude. Don't stop living in propriety. Don't let propriety escape you. Just keep living the way you do. You remember this, younger ladies are watching you. Remember, you are the example. Uh, my, my, when my mother was living in our house, when, when we were kids, you, you were guarded what you could watch and what you couldn't watch. Well, my mother got older, and she's like, in, in, like 80, in her 80s, uh, and uh, she's, she's watching TV in my house, and my daughters are going over, and, they're saying, and they come back and they say, you know what grandma's watching? And I went, <laughs> I, said, I said, mom, you need to understand something. You didn't let us watch that when I was a kid. You didn't, you didn't, she said, oh, I'm an old woman. I, I know who cares about that stuff. It doesn't affect me now. And I think, and, but, but she was being an example. Listen, you need to behave in a holy fashion no matter how old you are, because you are being watched. Don't let propriety escape you. And then he says this, and this is so important. He says, not false accusers. Now, why would he say that, particularly to older ladies? The word accuser there comes from the same word that God uses to describe the devil. The word is diablos. It's translated devil. He said, don't be devilish. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, uh, the Bible says this about the devil. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. That same word is used here. And God says, look, don't be, don't be false accusers. Why, is, why does he say that? Uh, I think that as you get older, it's easy to become cynical of others. You see the hypocrisy, and it's so easy to think, ah, they're all just phonies. It's easy when you see so many faults in others, and as you age, the older you get, the less idealistic you become. You see the faults in others, and it's easy to be influenced by a critical spirit so that you can become very, very critical, very, very cynical of everyone, and then you can become an accuser of the brethren. And God says, don't let that happen. Don't be the accuser of the brethren. I was, I was down in Florida. This wasn't an older woman. This was an older pastor who was retired. And uh, I was the, 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 in that church. They were voting on whether or not to, to hire a new younger pastor who I think would have been ideal for the church. But, but as, as I was talking to a few people, my wife talked to an older pastor, a retired pastor, and, and she said, oh, isn't this guy a wonderful guy? And the guy said, we don't need young guys coming in here and changing everything. And he went on and on about the fact, this is a retirement community, and there are retired people, and we don't need this new guy coming in and doing all this new stuff. And, and, and I thought, man, accuser of the brethren. Look, we need to be careful, and we need to understand that that God says, and he says specifically to the older woman, don't be the one that is accusing. Don't be a false accuser. Don't allow that cynical spirit to overcome you. Remember, there are demonic spirits that want you to be critical of other people. Don't allow that to happen. And then he says, not given to much wine. The idea here is don't get intoxicated. It's easy to want to drop out of life and just desire to get away. Man, all these people come with all their problems. I just don't need that. I had a lady sitting, oh, sat over in this uh, area of the building one day, and I said, you know what? You need to be reaching out to, for more people. And she said, I don't need more friends. I got enough people and enough problems. I don't need any more people. Well, that's not, that's not what God wants us to be. God wants us to always be reaching out and open and available and using the gifts that God has given us. But sometimes we can, the idea of this not given to wine is, is just, just drinking the wine in order to just 
get, get away. It's, it's, it's that thing that gets me away from what's going on. And we have all sorts of ways of escape. We can become TV addicts. We can become internet addicts. We can become, uh, we, we, I mean, it can be drinking and drugs. It can be other things. But the idea is don't let yourself get pulled into a false world. Let yourself be there for others behaving in a holy fashion, not false accusers, not given to wine. And then he says this, teachers of good things. This is the primary thing that God wants older women to do. He wants them to teach younger women good things. God, they should be able to look at you and learn good things from you. I when, when my wife and I started this church, we were 22 years old. So we were always looking for older people to give us guidance. So I'm, I, mean, I had a, two or three men that were in their 80s that I would go to and I would ask them, what do you think I should do about this or what do you think I should do about that? And I would get guidance from them. We were always looking for older women who would give younger women guidance because we were 22 years old. I remember one time specifically, there was an older lady who had been in our church, and she was a Christian for years. And there was a younger woman that was going through some struggles with her husband. And we thought, well, we'll just, this is what the Bible says, let older women teach younger women. So I went over, and I said to this older woman, uh, would you be willing to help this younger woman understand how to get along with her husband? We'll see what she's supposed to teach here in just a minute. And we see, she said, oh, I'll be happy to. She's a very outspoken woman. She said, I'm happy to. So she went over and she saw this younger woman. And, and when, when uh, afterwards I said, how'd it go? And uh, when it, she said, well, I went over there and she told me what he was like. When I found out what he was like, I told her what I'd do. I'd take all of his stuff and throw it in the front porch and I'd change the locks and lock him out. I'd never have him back in my house. I thought, that's not exactly what you're supposed to be teaching the younger woman, and, I, and so we were more cautious after that of having younger women learn from older women. That didn't work out too well. It's important that we understand that we live in a corrupt culture, and you're supposed to find older godly, older godly women need to be teaching younger women and some specific things. And so let's look at the younger woman. Younger women, what are, what are the older women supposed to teach the younger women? Look what it says. It says that they might teach the young women to be sober. And by the way, there's two or three words, that, Greek words, that are translated sober in this, in this passage. That's why you're getting different, different definitions from me of what these words mean. So we'll look at them. It says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Wow. If the older women teach the younger women how to do these things, then the word of God is not going to be blasphemed. The word blaspheme means to speak evil of. People are going to speak good things about the Bible. People are going to say, wow, that Bible's a great thing if older women that are, that are living in this pattern are teaching younger women to live this way. Well, what are they supposed to teach the younger women? Number one, to be sober. The word sober there means to be sensible, fulfilling responsibilities. The idea is I'm going to be, uh, I, I need to learn how to fulfill the responsibilities that God wants me to fulfill as a young mother, a young wife, a young woman. So the first thing they, she, she's supposed to teach him is how to love, the word is the word phileo there, her own husband. The word phileo, there are three Greek words that are used in the Bible. There are other Greek words that are translated love, but there are three Greek words that are translated love in the Bible. The first one is agape love, and it means unconditional, selfless love. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love this person with uh, no matter how they treat me. That's that is, uh, that's the word agape. 
And God tells husbands, you're to agape, you're to love your wife unconditionally. No matter how she treats you, you're supposed to love her. But this word is a different word. It's the word phileo. There's an, the, the word phileo, and then there's the word eros. Eros is, is talking about sensual love and um, marriage love. So here she, he uses the word phileo specifically. The word phileo means to like, means to, to like or to have affection for. So he says, you older women need to teach your, the younger women how to just like their husbands, how to have an affection for your husband. The idea is guys aren't very likable. Once you get married to him, he, he's just not very likable. He does some things that like irritate you. Can, I don't want to ask you to say amen to that. Okay. I mean, like, like before he got married when he used to wear cologne? Remember when he used to smell good? Remember when he used to brush his teeth? Remember when he used to shower? Remember when he used to do that? Remember when he used to patiently wait for you and say, uh, take all the time you need, honey. No problems. That which is worth having is worth waiting for. Those, those were the days. Remember that? Then you got married, and you woke up, and you said, what is that? <laughs> so when that happens, the young woman is in shock. And so the God says, you older women need to teach the younger women that are in shock how to like their husbands. <laughs> how to get along with their husbands, and how, how, to, how to have an affection for them. How do you have affection for somebody who acts like that when they come home? That's the idea. And then he says, he doesn't just say that about the husbands. Look, he uses the same word for children. Children, children are so dear and so sweet and so loving, and, and they, they, they lay there in their bed at night, and you walk in, and you see them, and they're hugging their little, their little thing, and they get their head, and, and, and they're, and they're say, oh, it's so sweet, oh, and you say, aren't they sweet? Uh, yeah, until they wake up, <laughs> and then they say, I want this, give me that, he took my stuff, he did. how come he did that, and they come, and they got snot all down, and they're doing, and they're looking, ba- and they smell, ba- and they do and, and sometimes children can be unlikable. I said that to a lady when I was preaching, and a lady said, the lady came in, and she said, I'm offended that you would say that about children. Children are always adorable. This lady had one child. It was a little girl. It was terrible. You, that's, not, that's cheating, by the way. What you need to do is go babysit for your friend who has 12 then you understand. God says you need to teach, the older women need to teach the younger women how to like their children, how to, how to have affection for them, because there are times that you want to lock them in the back room <laughs> with a zucchini or something. I don't know. And you just, you just there, there are times that you want to do that. So Older women are to teach their younger women how to like their children, how to like their husband, and then you're to teach them to be discreet. The word discreet means, it's, it's the same as the word temperate in verse 2. It means self-controlled and, and of a sound mind. So that you're not always just expressing what's on your mind, that you're controlling of what you're saying and learning how to say the right thing and the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. Beyond that, you're to teach them how to be, how to be chaste, how to be pure. Uh, the, the idea is pure from immorality, which would mean guarding your mind from immoral things like on the internet, Guarding your mind from allowing yourself, your mind to wander. Satan, Satan uses all sorts of things in our culture today to say, hey, you can get away from this. You don't, you didn't, this life isn't what you were expecting it to be. Had a lady come up here one day, and she said, that's it, I'm, I'm done. I was, I was standing right, right about here, and she said, I'm done. 
She said, I'm, I'm tired of the whole thing. I've raised my children. Her children were 12 and 13 years old. She said, I raised my children. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. And I'm, I'm going to live for me now. She, did, she made some, so many mistakes and just destroyed her children's lives because she was allowing wrong thinking to go into her mind. She wound up doing some improper things. Keepers at home. I don't want to be just a housekeeper. The idea of keepers at home, very so important. The word keeper means to guard. It's somebody who guards the home, protects the home. That the home won't be what the home should be unless the, unless the young woman is there guarding. Young women guard their family. You guard your, your children from being hurt by the dad. I, uh, my, my wife would tell you this, and she would be very sincere when she said this. She would tell you that if it wasn't for her, none of our children would have made it to adulthood. <laughs> she was the one that guarded them. Uh, we, I, I, I'm very, very impulsive, and I would do things that, that were not really safe sometimes. I didn't realize it. I, we were up in Alaska one time, and I saw a glacier. I would have never been on a glacier in my life. I was born and raised in desert, right? I thought, man, that's cool. And I, I pulled over to the side. There was a bunch of people over on this side of the glacier. I went over where there wasn't anybody. And I said, hey, kids, let's climb up on that glacier. So we climb up on this glacier. And, and man, there's these great big crevices. Sheldon, down in this, in huge, huge crevices. And I'm down there, and I'm looking down these crevices, and this beautiful aqua blue color. I said, kids, come up here. And they're looking down the crevices. And these people over on this side, where everybody was parked, um, uh, the place I avoided, they're looking at me like panicked out, like freaked out. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with them? And Anna yells, David, come down here, come down here. There's a big sign that says, don't crawl on the glaciers. This is the most dangerous thing you can do in Alaska, you know, and, uh, and, and that, that people fall down in those crevices and they're never seen the rest of ever. Go right straight from there to hell. And, uh, you know, so, uh, so uh, the, <laughs> my, my, my wife said, did you see the sign? I said, no, everybody was in front of the sign. I walked around this way and... So she would tell you that she saved our children's lives. A wife is to be the guardian of the home. She's the keeper of the home. She's the protector. She makes sure that, that evil things don't come over the Internet. They, they don't come through the, the television set, that, that, that her children are protected. Don't ever let somebody tell you you're an overprotective mom. Don't, 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 don't take it. God puts you there to protect your children. And then and they're to teach them how to be good. The idea of good is pleasant and choosing right over wrong. It's so easy to get unpleasant when you're dealing with unpleasant people. Older women teach younger women how to be pleasant, how to be good. And then obedient to their own husband. The Bible never teaches, contrary to what some would teach, the Bible never teaches that a woman is, is any less than a man. The Bible teaches us that men and women are co-equal, in fact. But within the home, God says that the wife needs to place her, arrange her life underneath her husband because there can only be one head of the home. And, uh, and, uh, and so she's obedient, not because she's less, but, but in, in subjection to her husband to help her husband succeed. Now, God says, look at verse 5. I want you to see this very clearly. The Bible says that if she does these things, if the older women teach the younger women these things, that the, the word of God will not be blasphemed. People will say, wow, that Bible really does change lives. Look what that woman is like. Wow. So God will, God, God's name will be esteemed, God's word will be esteemed uh, if, if older men act like they're supposed to, if, younger, uh, if older women act like they're supposed to, and they teach younger women to live like they're supposed to. And then he says, hey, let's talk about young men. Young men, he gives some specific instructions. First of all, he says, again, to them, they're to be sober-minded. That word means to guard their thinking. They guard their thinking. Proverbs says this, Proverbs says, keep thy heart. The word is guard, and the heart there in the Hebrew meant, meant, means your thinking process. So he says, keep, guard your thinking process with all diligence. The word diligence means to work at it. So we would say, 
Work hard at guarding what you think about. Work hard at guarding what you think about, for out of it are the issues of life. See, what you think about is that which you do. You're, you're sitting there in your living room, and everything is fine, and you're not thinking about anything, and you turn on the TV, and then a pizza commercial comes on. You're not thinking about pizza, but now you are. And somebody takes one of, reaches in and gets a piece of pizza. It never looks that way when you buy it, but, when, but they pull it up, and it's the thick crust pizza, and there's just oils dripping out of it. And, and the, the pizza, as they pick it up off of the big pizza, the, the cheese is just, it's just it's hanging there. And there's pepperonis on there and sausage, and, and, and you just look at it, and you weren't thinking about it a minute ago, but now you're thinking about it. In fact, some of you will leave here and go buy pizza. Why? Because you didn't guard your thoughts. Here, keep your heart with all diligence. Guard what you're thinking about diligently, for out of it are the issues of life. What you think about is what you're going to do. He says, put a, why, why do you think about it? Put away from thee the forward mouth, and, and perverse lips put far from thee. That is, guard what comes into your ears, because what you hear, you're going to think about. Let thine eyes look right on and thine eyelids. That is, guard what you see. Guard what you're looking at. Look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet. Then he says, guard where you go. So he says, guard what you're listening to. Guard what you watch. And guard, why? Guard your mouth. Or guard, guard your, where you're going. Because when you do that, you're guarding your mind. And that's what he's talking about when he says, be sober-minded. Guard what comes into your mouth or into your mind. And then he says, uh, show a pattern of good works. Live your life not talking about good things, but doing good things. Occupy yourself with doing that which is good. Good works. I, I, I love my grandson. I love all my grandkids. Um, uh, I was thinking specifically this morning about Trey and thinking about, wow, he is a young man who does good works. He's always looking for something to do. And I love that because there's a lot of things around my house that I don't want to do. You understand? There's, I mean, like, uh, oh, we need, to, we need to wax the car. Trey, uh, we, we, need, we, need to, we need to clean up after the dogs. Trey, Trey will come over and Trey will work. And the only question he ever asked me is how much? But he, he's willing to do good works. Listen, what's sad today is in our culture, young men get, don't, don't look for good works to do. They're playing video games. They're playing on Facebook. And, they're, and we have a, a culture full of young men with minds that are mush because all they've thought about, all they've done is play, 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 play. Show a pattern of good works. And then in doctrine, showing uncorruptness. That is, that is, practice what you preach. Stay away from things that you have been taught that are wrong. Which would mean stay away from pornography. Don't allow your mind to be corrupted by the filth that's on TV, on the internet, in the movies, and all that kind of stuff. In doctrine, uncorruptness. In gravity. In gravity. The word gravity means honorable and honest. That if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it that you can depend on that person. Then there's the word sincerity. Sincerity means an authenticity that makes it seem like you're incapable of sin. There are people that you know that if somebody came up to you, Steve, and said, that person did this, you would look at them and say, no, not that person. You'd just say, no, not that person. You look at them, and you know, you just, you know they're authentic. You know they're real people. If you came to me today and said, hey, I just went out and had coffee with, my, with your wife yesterday, I'd say, no, you didn't. You'd say, why? Because my wife doesn't drink coffee. I, I know that about her. You understand? I know that she's not going to go out and drink coffee. Now, you might get her some uh, hot chocolate, but she didn't go out and drink coffee. You, she's authentic. I know her. I know that about her. There are people that you look at, and, and he's saying, listen, a young man ought to live in such a way that people think. That, that, that doesn't mean they're incapable of sin. It just means that they think you, you, you're so authentic, they think you're incapable of sin. And then sound in speech. What does that mean? That, that means you speak healthful things. You, th you speak things that are beneficial to people. And, and that you know what you're talking about. 
things that build up, things that benefit. You're not downgrading people all the time. Sound in speech. Ephesians says it this way. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. That is what a young man is supposed to do. That's how a young man is supposed to live. Then he says this. He goes on to the next area, and he says this. He says, uh, he says, exhort, in verse 10, he says, exhort, that is encourage servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. And then he, that's when he says that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. He says to the servants, he, he says to the servants, look, and, and this would include all of us, because all of us are servants in some way. Now, this word, the word servant is doulos, and it means actually slave. But we would say, like, if we're employers, wherever we are, wherever we are, we are servants. And so what are we supposed to do? If you're an employee, here's, he says, number one, be obedient. He, uh, to their own masters. Don't try to do it someone else's way or try to prove your way is better. Do, do what the boss says. That's very simple. He says, number two, work to please them in all things. My whole thing is I just want to please the boss. I don't care what the other employees say. I'm going to please the boss. And don't answer again. He says, the idea is just do it. No griping, no back talking, just do it. This is God. This isn't your boss talking. This is God saying well, how you're supposed to respond to your boss. And then it says not purloining. I'm an employee. Everybody else takes pencils and goes home with them, but they're pencils. What's no, what's no big thing? It doesn't matter. Everybody else does it. You're not going to do it because you're a Christian. Materially, postage stamps, pencils, papers, but everybody takes them. Everybody takes them. Everybody does that, but you don't because you're a Christian. Socially, you don't take praise for somebody else's work. Another employee does something, you know, and the boss says, hey, good job, and you say, yeah, yeah. You don't take credit for somebody else's work. And you don't, you don't, uh, you don't take, you don't, when somebody else is telling what, what a great company it is, you don't say, yeah, that's because of me. Nobody else around here does anything else. You don't take credit for, for, for somebody, what somebody else has done. You give credit to whom credit is due. Not purloining. And then with good fidelity. The idea of good fidelity is honest, truthful, reliable, you should be able to be trusted totally. The boss should be able to say, I'm going out of town, and I want you to lock up every day. I trust you. Now, he says, and this is so important, he says, he says because when you live the way an older man should live, and when you live the way an older woman should live, and when you live as a younger woman should live, and when, when you live as a younger man should live, and then you live as a servant should live, look, the Word of God is going to be adorned. People are going to be drawn to you, and they're going to say, wow, there is a God because I know that person. There's a, a God because I know Craig. There's a God because I know Daniel. There's a, there's a God because I know Rob. There's a God. They're going to be, Kyle, drawn to God because they saw him in you. Wow, that's an amazing thing. In fact, look how he ends this. Go down to verse 11. He says for, and the word for means because. Okay? So because, why, why should I live this way as an older man or as an as a, as a older woman or as a, a young woman or as a young man or as a servant? Why should I live this way? Because the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Everybody knows the way a Christian should live. Oh, you may say a Christian should be able to do this and a Christian should be able to do this, but listen. Everybody knows about the grace of God. And everybody knows the way a Christian should live. The grace of God has appeared to all men. 
that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And what does he teach us? He teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Look what he says. He says, when people... People know, because of the grace of God has appeared to all men, that as Christians, he, he said, because, why should Christians live this way? Because, because they know what Christians are supposed to do. They know that Christians are to deny ungodliness. They know that Christians are to stay away from worldly lust. They know that Christians are to live sep- uh, soberly and, and free from wine. They know, that, they, they know that Christians should live righteously. They know that, that Christians should live godly. They know that Christians are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. They know that Christians should be free of iniquity. They know that cr- Christians should be, should be purifying themselves. They know that Christians are, should be peculiar people. They should look at you and say, you're peculiar. Look at the person next to you and say, are you peculiar? <laughs> you're supposed to be. Say this with me. I am peculiar. Let's say that. Boy, you were quick for that. Let's say it one more time. I am peculiar. We are. We're supposed to be. Well, I, don't, I like to blend in. No, you're supposed to be peculiar. The, all these traits are different. He made us zealous for good works. They know this. Listen, the world, the world knows that's the way we're supposed to be. The world knows that we believe that Jesus Christ is God. They know that we believe that he came to this earth and died for our sins, that he paid for our sins, that he was buried, that three days later he rose from the dead. They know this story. They know that the only way we can get to heaven, or some don't, that the only way we can get to heaven is by coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. I know that you died for me and that you were buried and that you rose from the dead for me. And I'm asking you to give me eternal life. And we get saved. We, we call ourselves saved because we ask Jesus to give us eternal life and we're trusting him to get us to heaven. And they know that if we are Christians, we're supposed to live this way. And when they, they see us not living that, that way, this is what they say, oh, nothing to it. Oh, there's not really a God. Oh, there's not, they, they don't really believe. Oh, no, no, that, that's what they say. But when they say us, see us living this way, according to Paul, Titus is on this wicked island with all these wicked people. He said, listen, you're in this wicked culture with all these wicked people, but if you live this way, they're going to have to say, wow, there's something to what they're saying. Christians live like Christians. Maximize your life. Maximize your influence. Father, help us to take your truth. Help us to apply it to our lives. I pray, Father, that we'll leave here today with a determination to influence others by living the way we're supposed to live as older men, older women, young women, young men, and servants. Help us to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.